expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio is Gavin Phipps, also of ICRT News. Gavin. Hello. And from the greater Kaohsiung area, we're joined by ICRT correspondent Michael Smith. Michael, hello to you as well. Hello. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the KMT primary candidate, that is now singular, candidate, a little bit of DPP policy wrangling, a little bit of South China Sea tensions, all familiar topics to be sure, but uh, really there is a lot of new stuff to talk about this week, and we'll be talking about a certain Taiwanese director whose most recent work has won a certain French award. But first, when it rains, it pours, I guess, at least in southern Taiwan, which got a case of weather whiplash this week. We've gone from months of worrying about the drought Two torrential rains and flood warnings that actually shut down work and schools in Alishan, uh, Jiayi, and Kaohsiung. Uh, Michael, what can you tell us about what was going on down there this week? Yeah, well, it's it's fair to say that the uh, the drought is over. Uh, we got some significant rainfall in the mountainous areas and also in the city itself and in the Pingdong Greater Peninsula as well. Uh, we're talking about like. 600 millimeters falling in a couple of hours. So naturally that caused flooding in some areas of the uh, the city and also over in Pingdong. Certain townships uh, on the way down to Kending uh, had rock slides that closed off roads. Certain trains were not allowed to run because of uh, also rocks on the tracks and stuff. And they've been clearing that all out. And the weather has been better over the past uh, 24 hours. We're just getting intermittent uh, torrential showers followed by periods of calm. But uh, yeah, the good news is the drought is over. The bad news is that uh, every year when we have these sort of heavy rains, we seem to still be experiencing floods and uh, we haven't come up with a a, a way of being able to uh, handle these torrential rains despite uh, much wrangling and much discussion about how we might be able to better control floods and floodwaters. Now, looking at just the, you know, the phase three water rationing, the phase two water rationing, all that stuff, obviously, uh, phase three water rationing never went into effect down south. And uh, Gavin, from what I hear now, uh, the only kind of water rationing that's going to be around in Taiwan is phase one water rationing in some areas. Yeah, they've got phase one still in Tainan and Miao Li and a couple of other areas down the west coast there. But of course, as you said, the government did decide on May the 4th, I believe, to introduce phase three water rationing into 29 of Kaohsiung's 38 districts. But then the rain came along and they didn't have to. Yeah. Kind of got them off the go. hook. Unfortunately, of course, you're now paying more for your vegetables, Eric. Yeah, that's completely true. I, I was down at a local market, uh, and uh, one of my favorite vegetables, Kongxing Tai, I think that is a, what is that, water uh, spinach, I believe in English, or uh, empty heart vegetable, <laughs> translated uh, directly. That thing is uh, uh, priced about four times or almost five times what it usually costs. Other vegetables have gone up by a factor of 30%, 20%. So, yeah, that's a, a major issue because we had agricultural losses of almost 2 million NT just over the past couple of days of rain. So rice, papaya, leafy vegetables, everything's up 10 20% 
Jai County reported losses of almost 50% of their produce, so that's not good in that area either. Another issue is dengue fever, because every time you get lots of water in little containers, you get lots of mosquitoes laying lots of eggs. So the city is sending around crews right now to try to find those spots and empty out those you know, tires and little containers that might be breeding spots for the Aegis aegypti mosquito that produces dengue fever. Also this week, we heard a little bit from the government about a a, a long-term response. Uh, Ministry of Economic Affairs is upping its water conservation methods in the wake of this spring's drought. Uh, It's saying that it's going to introduce fees uh, for heavy water users, along with awards uh, for those that are able to, you know, diminish their water usage. So they're saying that these are some of the ways that they're going to uh, avoid drought in the future. But, you know, Keith, we've uh, we've interviewed uh, the former uh, Interior Minister, Lee Hongyuan, I think a couple times on ICRT. I think you've talked to him as well. And he's told us on more than one occasion that the systemic problem of Taiwan's water issues is so deep with like, you know, water pipe issues and all the rest of it. And in his view, we have not yet found the will to be able to tackle the actual problem. And basically, a lot of what uh, you just described sort of sounds like Band-Aid. So we'll have to see if uh, there's an actual political will to actually make changes. Yes, indeed. Perhaps uh, in the long term, the rain coming early maybe only helped us kick the can down the road. But up next, uh, we're going to have to leave the reins uh, and move to, as promised, politics. And this week, there was a lot of it. The KMT presidential primary field became a field of one. Deputy Legislative Speaker Hong Xiu Chu is the only one left standing. Uh, And a real quick recap for people who haven't been following the blow-by-blow. Party heavyweights all stayed home on registration day a couple weeks ago. So no legislative speaker, Wang Jinping, no party chairman, Eric Chu. uh, And that, of course, left only Hong in the race. And, uh, well, the only other person who turned in the signatures and the money to register as a candidate was former Department of Health Minister Yang Zhiliang. Uh, But his campaign came to an end this Monday when it was determined that of the more than 30,000 endorsements from registered members that he turned in, only a little bit more than 5,000 were valid. Uh, So he only turned in 5,000. That was below the threshold of 15,000. So Yang dropped out, which means Hong is uh, alone right now in the primary. And at this point, the only thing between Hong and the KMT nomination is an opinion poll. Uh, And party rules say she's got to pass it with at least 30% approval rating. But uh, based on the polling that's come out this week, it looks like that may not be such a big issue for her. her. She might be able to do that. Right, Gavin? Yeah, the China Times, which is considered to be a pro-KMT government newspaper polled its readers and some 34% of those readers came out in support of Hong's nomination. And of course that's four percentage points above the 30% required to pass the second phase of the KMT primary. And uh, also there's been a little bit of a question of whether or not the KMT is going to fully back this candidate who is seen as a bit of a long shot in winning the general election and uh, some question as to whether or not they're going to stick to their own nomination process. But this week uh, it seems like they made some indications that they would. Well, Eric Chu, who's, of course, party chairman and new Taipei mayor, did reiterate, in fact, he said three times nearly this week, that the KMT primary process will remain unchanged. And Wang Jingping, who is a legislative speaker, also came out and he rallied, he told the party members to rally behind Hong. It's obviously in a point that no one else is going to run and she's going to be the candidate. But it was quite interesting that Eric Chu was forced to come out and continue reiterating his 
policy to not change. Yeah, basically he had to come out and say, we are not going to change our party rules uh, just because we are in a disadvantaged uh, situation. And uh, I don't know, some people might give him credit for that. It might be considered a brave move, but... Uh, all polls right now are pointing to a rather stunning defeat for Hong if she ends up being the KMT nominee. I don't know if anybody, if everybody knows a lot about her, but uh, she's uh, 67 years old. She was uh, born in Taiwan, in Taipei. She graduated from the Chinese Culture University and also from the Northeast Missouri State University, and she was the very first vice uh, chairman of the, what was it, Gavin? The uh, Legislative Yuan, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so saying that you're going to back this candidate and stick to your rules is one thing, uh, but it sounds like Legislator Hong uh, is a little bit suspicious of some of the procedural rules that the KMT is coming up with. She's saying that they would be disadvantageous to her. Is that right, Michael? Well, she came out uh, the other day and was a little bit uh, upset about the money involved with registering for the candidacy. And this, again, is KMT rules itself. Uh, I believe each party in Taiwan has their own set of Uh, regulations regarding this, but she has a net worth. I think it was something in the neighborhood of only like um, 10 million NT, and she's already shelled out something in the neighborhood of 7 million NT, or in any case, she has put up most of her, I guess you would call it life savings towards this bid, and she's really wondering if the KMT is going to put their considerable financial heft behind her, or if they're just going to sort of let her be a a sacrificial lamb, for lack of a better term. I mean, the KMT did come out this week and say they would give her policies to follow. So she's not sort of being thrown out there and said, okay, come up with your own policies. Right. Well, I mean, she toes the line when it comes to KMT policies in general. I mean, she's been a very faithful supporter of the Republic of China. She supports immediate peace negotiations with China. She, She... toes the party line completely. So I don't really know exactly what they mean by that. But uh, whether or not they will put out, I don't know, billions of NT for a election campaign that they know they're going to lose is a big question. And uh, just to maybe push back against, you know, people that are expecting her to make it through this thing just a little bit. Uh, So one of the things that she's protesting is uh, she's saying that it would be unfair if the KMT made their poll uh, her against Tsai. Uh, She says that normally what the party does is just uh, an approval poll, do you approve this candidate? And she does much better in a do you approve this candidate poll than she does in a her versus Tsai poll. In a her versus Tsai poll, she only gets 17%. So that would not clear uh, the 30% threshold. So uh, definitely a lot of ways that the KMT could kind of game this in one direction or the other. So we're going to have to see how this all turns out. The KMT, of course, says that it will meet to uh, discuss how it's going to uh, hold this primary process in the next couple of days. So uh, we should get some answers coming up soon. That was a quick Taiwan This Week look at Taiwan's torrential rains and political pains. Going to take a little commercial break here. Got a whole lot more good stuff for you after this. All right, welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around the island. Uh, Before we took our break, we were digging deep into politics, and we're going to keep that going, uh, but move over into more of the international sphere, the defense sphere. Uh, Earlier this week, President Ma Ying-jeou proposed a new 
peace plan for the disputed waters of the South China Sea. Uh, now, of course, Taiwan is one of many claimants to this region. Others include the Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, and of course China. Uh, Gavin, what was President Ma calling for this week? Well, he called for all related parties to shelve their disputes, pursue peace, and jointly tap the resources in the disputed region in order to, in his words, maintain peace and development. Of course, his South China Sea Peace Initiative is much like his August of 2012 East China Sea Peace Initiative, when he pushed for much the same because. Of course, the East China Sea is also a disputed area, according to Ma, who announced this. In fact, saying that this is the 70th anniversary of the end of the Second World War, and countries should learn from history and pursue peace. Ma did say, and he, in fact, it was—I should say—he he announced this initiative at a forum in Taipei, at mm-hmm. a, re- a Pacific Research Forum in Taipei. Right, and he basically turned around and said, "You know, well, I think he all parties with territorial claims in the South China Sea should exercise restraint and seek peace and stability in the region by refraining from any unilateral measures that can lead to increased tensions." He also said that Taiwan, or rather his government, is prepared to join any related dialogues and mechanisms for any South China Sea cooperation. So basically, put the territorial disputes aside and focus on developing other things like resources, whatever. Jointly, basically, yeah. And of course, the DPP has responded by saying that pretty much、uh, Ma's proposal sounds like、uh, the equivalent of "Kumbaya, let's all get along and let's be nice to each other." And they want to know what more specific plans the Ma administration would have. And the Ma administration fired back with a. Plan where they sort of drew some lines into the ocean and said that these are the areas that are claimed by the Republic of China, and they based their claim on the Constitution of the Republic of China that was signed in Nanjing back in 1946. Then, in 1947, there was a specific law of the South China Sea that was、uh, promulgated back then, and that's what they are basing it on. So the DPP says, well, actually, we'd prefer that you did something based on the 1982 UN Convention of the Seas. But Ma says, well, it's in our constitution and it's there. And this is a bit of a, a, a sticky point for the Ma administration. And in some ways, I sort of sympathize with them because the constitution is the law of the land, technically. And even though perhaps it was.、Uh, Written and、uh, promulgated back in the days before、uh, the, the government moved to Taiwan, it's been revised、uh, in Taiwan most recently in 2007, I believe, and it is for、uh, today. It is the law of the land. So technically, when Ma says he has to follow the constitution's rules,、uh, he is making a valid claim that the Republic of China Constitution does claim much of the exact same area that the People's Republic of China claims in the South China Sea. And it's pretty hard for his government to just say, "Oh well, okay, we'll not take this area." They would have to actually change the constitution. And you know, it's being called a、uh, a peace initiative. And a, a, as Michael just mentioned, some dissenters are are, are labeling this as just a slogan. And、uh, you know, for for some people, you don't have to dig too f- deeply to find. Maybe perhaps something of a strategic rationale here.、Uh, for example, some DPP、uh, folks are are alleging that this is putting Taiwan more in line with China's claims, is aligning Taiwan more closely with China, and this is going to put it at odds with the other claimants and also with Japan, who、uh, is getting more involved in this dispute. So, and the Philippines as well.、Uh, they 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 made statements this week that indicated that they were not too keen、uh, for this peace initiative. They're looking、uh, to pursue more of.、Uh, 
international arbitration tracks. They're not too interested in uh, something that would look more like what Ma's talking about. So, Well, I mean, all of these countries, including uh, us here in Taiwan, we can talk as much as we want and we can uh, make whatever initiatives we want. But while we are doing that, China is building artificial islands, airstrips, uh, garrisons, uh, Coast Guard divisions on various islands. China is the only country out of all of the claimants that is actually making some serious significant moves to strengthen its position in the South China Sea. And due to that, um, a lot of experts, I mean, there was an article in uh, the International Business Times, there was something in several other papers. Many people are starting to predict that the South China Sea is the flashpoint over the next 10 years and that we could see war in the area. Of course, we seriously hope that that does not occur. All right. Now, briefly, uh, bringing it back a little bit more into domestic politics, uh, this week the DPP gave us a bit of an indication of what direction it would take Taiwan's defense policy in if it does win power during next year's election. Uh, Now, another big talking point this week was uh, tying Wen's upcoming trip to the U.S., and all of this is kind of tangled up with uh, questions about what her China policy is, what her international policy is going to be, and there's been some big questions about that. Uh, Gavin, what did we learn this week? Well, the DPP released its 12th blue paper, which is a defence paper, in which it vowed to continue to develop indigenous defensive capabilities if the party wins power in next election. Now, this is not the, the, the DPP do this every time. This is, like I said, the 12th blue paper they've done, and everyone has been much the same. They plan to boost defensive capabilities with indigenous weapons systems while pursuing the purchasing of other weapons systems from the United States and allied countries. So really focusing more on domestic systems. Well, they have to because they realise that there's basically only America is going to sell them any hard, actual, big technology, basically. And even those weapons are going to be uh, versions that are uh, sanctified and, you know, okay for Taiwan specifically. It's not like they're going to get the latest in U.S. technology. Well, they do occasionally, but I mean, it's not yes, occasionally. That, right? But yeah, there's, there's also there's questions, of course, about the submarine technology and or submarine development, of course, because this is a big thing now. And the DPP have come out and said they will continue to support plans by the Navy and several local shipbuilders to develop the island's indigenous submarine fleet, because of course Taiwan only has four submarines at the moment, only two of which are seaworthy. The KMT, of course, has come out recently and said also that it supports the production of an indigenous submarine fleet so they both agree on that which is quite a strange thing really when we're in taiwan the political parties agree on something <laughs> and you know keith uh, when uh, uh, tai, uh chairperson tai goes over to the states a lot of what she's going to be doing over there is trying to convince the u.s and the international community that she's not going to be a troublemaker um, if, if, if i can put it that way because um The last time the DPP came to power, some who did not support the policies of then-President Chen Shui-bian sort of just saw him as a a deliberate uh, person who was trying to make provocations with China. And, uh, of course, it depends completely on your political view whether or not you uh, agree with that position or not. But she has to do her best to be able to say, I'm going to maintain the status quo. I'm going to keep things the way they are with regards to defense. In other words, I'm going to keep buying U.S. weapons whenever possible. I'm going to make noises that sound like we are going to keep trying to produce indigenous weapons. But overall, I'm going to keep things steady and it's going to be the status quo. And on Wednesday, China sort of threw this back into Tsai's face by saying, what is the status quo to you? 
And how are you planning on maintaining it? And for China, the status quo is much more the Ma Ying-jeou administration's version of this detente that they sort of worked out that's based on uh, a version of one China that nobody seems to be able to agree on or even uh, know what the, the meaning of it is. So they want her to kind of spell out pretty clearly what she means by maintaining the status quo. And when she goes over to the States, that's going to be her opportunity to sort of present that. And we're going to get the reaction from China after that, whether they call her, you know, a bunch of names and say she's a a terrible person or blah, 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 or whether they say, you know, we uh, hope for peaceful relations between uh, the DPP and China. So this really is not just a trip to the States, but it's a way of her speaking to the international community and speaking to China. Right. So that's uh, obviously a theme of the campaign. It has been a theme of the campaign. It will continue to be a theme of the campaign. So we're going to have to see how it uh, fleshes out in the coming weeks. All right. So uh, flooding, divisive politics. Uh, Don't make for the best atmosphere this week in Taiwan. But there was also reason to celebrate this week with the news of the success of homegrown director Ho Shen, who won the award for Best Director at the Cannes Film Festival over the weekend. The film that won him the accolades is The Assassin. Uh, now, I haven't been lucky enough to see the film myself, but uh, media outlets are describing it as a martial arts drama set in Tang Dynasty, China, in which a trained killer, a.k.a. The Assassin, is sent to her home province to assassinate its governor, who also uh, just happens to be the man she loves. <laughs> so this is, a, awesome. this is a lady assassin we're talking about. Uh, lots of drama there. Uh but it's uh, it's my understanding that this is not uh, Mr. Ho's first stint at the Cannes Festival, right? That he's he's got the history there. Uh, yeah, um, he has offered a few other uh, films, and they've been received with varying degrees of uh, of uh, accolades, as you mentioned earlier. But yeah, this is this win is really a, a significant boost for. The Taiwan movie industry, I was reading the other day that the government is going to be giving him a subsidy uh, for the win. I forget what the number is exactly, but he will be receiving extra financial support from the government for future endeavors. And it, it generally just points to an industry in Taiwan that has really grown up significantly over the past 20 or 30 years from the days when it made, you know, kind of sappy love story films or poorly produced comedies to now where we are attracting not only local talent uh, such as Ho, but also getting international directors, uh, Luc Besson and uh, various other people making films in Taiwan and Taiwan just kind of being on the movie map. So good news for Taiwan. Yeah, apparently Ho Xiaoxian will receive 5 million NT from the government for winning the Best Director Prize. He'll also get another half a million for making into the main competition of the festival. And he received money to produce the film itself, so this was something that was supported by the Taiwanese government putting it forward. Uh, he he kind of took his moment, his spot in the in the spotlight this week uh, to call on local directors. Uh, and what did he have to say this week, Gavin? He said he what, what did he call it? He, he he called for passion. He said local movie directors should have more passion. And they should have the conviction to make movies according to their own standards. He also came out with a great line about how he doesn't see the need to shoot grand movies with big cast and big stars. Well, I mean, of course, Su Chi is quite a big star. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but I see his point, because although she is a big a star to us, perhaps, Gavin, and especially to me, but uh, we'll leave that there. But uh, uh, she's not like an international movie star per se, even though she was in the transporter uh, with, uh, what's his name, Jason Statham, I believe, in one of them. But uh, yeah, I think what he's trying to say is that uh, Taiwan has done quite well with producing medium-budget uh, films that have... 
a certain Taiwan flavor that's hard to put your finger on. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, crashing into buildings and all the rest of it, those kind of big budget effects, because to be frank, Taiwan doesn't do that very well yet. But the smaller, the more personal, the, uh, the, the stories like the, the Cape 7 one, where it centered around an old postman who was going around in Kending and delivering letters, these ones have done surprisingly well, not just in Taiwan, but around the world. So I sort of see what he's trying to get at. All right. And uh, we did get a little bit of an indication of what his next project is going to be this week. Uh, Ho Xiaoxun uh, said that his next film is going to be about a river goddess, uh, about uh, river goddess living in rivers in Taipei. So that'll be something interesting to watch as it rolls out. I wouldn't like to be a river goddess living in a river in Taipei. It'd be a very dirty, dirty It's the wrong place to be. She picks the wrong river to inhabit. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for the show today. You can send us your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. If you're listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. It lets us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Menconi, joined as always by Gavin Phipps. Gavin, thank you. Yes, goodbye. And Michael Smith. Michael, thank you as well. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.